0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Pat, and with me today is Ron Pesch and Jim Schaub, who are working on a new project called Buster Keaton Home. So Ron, could you tell me just a little bit about Buster Keaton? Who was he?
1: Well, originally he was a child vaudevillian star. Um, Worked with his parents in an act called The Three Keatons. But ultimately, the world really knows him as one of the greatest of the silent film comedians, a contemporary of Charlie Chaplin and Harold Lloyd, literally one of the most well-known names in the world back in the 1920s.
0: So when you say vaudeville, um, for listeners who might not know what that is, could you just explain what a vaudeville performance would be Well,
1: vaudeville was um, really entertainment before the movies and, and radio. It was an act that came to your town really comprised of multiple acts. There might be a juggler, there might be a dramatic act, there might be a comedian, a monologuist, song and dance people, but this was really the form of entertainment that toured the nation, appeared across the nation, and there were literally tens of thousands of people who performed in vaudeville to entertain folks.
0: So what was Buster Keaton's role in the vaudeville show?
1: Well, his parents were really performers originally in in old medicine shows where they were hawking the latest cure um, by entertaining the crowd. They moved into vaudeville as a couple, and then Buster was born. His parents, Joe and Myra Keaton, weren't terribly successful as vaudevillians, but when Buster was added to the act, that changed. Uh, The act was really built around Joe telling a story about the proper way to raise kids, while Buster misbehaved behind him. And this was entertainment in the time. And that's really the role that he played right up until the age of about 21, when the act broke up and and Buster moved on.
0: So how does Buster Keaton tie into Muskegon then?
1: Interestingly, when the Keatons were in Vaudeville, Muskegon was known as one of the stops during the summer circuit. Down along what we know today as Pure Marquette Park, it was then known as Lake Michigan Park. And there was an amusement park. It was the end of the trolley line. Down there was a dancing pavilion and a theater pavilion, along with a roller coaster and games of chance and such. The Keatons were booked in to play Muskegon in 1902 and 1905. In 1905, this is the time frame where the sawmills that surrounded Muskegon Lake were starting, or had started to disappear. Right. And property was cleared. Joe Keaton learned about the property and they were looking for a place to go in the summertime to knock off and relax. They had attained a level of success at this point, and Joe ended up buying some property along Muskegon Lake and then hitting the road, telling his friends about this little slice of paradise he found in Muskegon, Michigan. They formed an actress colony down there, and because of that, Muskegon was really considered by Buster his hometown, even though he was originally born in Pickway, Kansas in 1895.
0: So he spent a lot of his life on the road, but his summers would be spent here in Muskegon correct. in the Bluffton area, correct? Yeah.
1: He spent about ten summers of his life from about the age of eleven to twenty one summering in Muskegon and, and acting like a kid.
0: So what what would he do as a young child in Muskegon?
1: Well of course, just like anybody else along the lake, even today, there's fishing, there's swimming, there's Um, a chance to own boats out there on the water, and the Actress County members certainly did. They played baseball. It was one of Buster's major loves, and there was a little baseball diamond down there um, not far from what was once Bluffton School that he played on. He really got the chance to be a kid, Um, enjoy his summers, uh, go to the amusement park, you know, anything just like what we do today.
0: So I've heard he liked to play pranks as well. Is that something that he loved to do in the summer? Most
1: certainly. He was uh, mechanically inclined, as they say. And so the story goes that for entertainment, for the actors that lived down there as well as his own, um, he was involved in a variety of items, um, one called the clown pole that really was just a fish line that went out in the water with a line that ran back into their clubhouse that they could fool people into believing There was a fish on the line, and uh, then, of course, the entertainment began. There was another individual that lived down there, a guy named Ed Gray, another pavilion. The Tall Tale Teller was his name on the road. Asked Buster to resolve an issue that he had with this outhouse, and so they came up with collapsible walls for this outhouse um, to keep visitors away from the outhouse that was owned by Ed Gray. So, yeah, he, he found opportunities galore down there to yeah. have fun and pull pranks. Right. And a lot of that later translated into his films.
0: Sounds like he was really cutting loose in his summers here in Muskegon. Exactly. Well, can you tell me kind of about the scene of Muskegon during that time?
1: Really, you know, you're talking about a city that was in the 1910s. We were transferring from that lumber era into the industrial era. So you saw... A number of the buildings um, that you know, populated the area, Brunswick Corporation, you had the paper mill existed, of course, along the lake at that time that Buster was here. But really, one of the biggest things about Muskegon was the attraction of the lakes. It was beginning to be a place that people wanted to go to get away from the city, to relax along the cooling breezes that came off Lake Michigan. And so that's where the amusement park down there worked rather well. But we had a bustling downtown, of course, at the time. And it, it really was this transitional period in, in local history where we started to become industrialized.
0: Now, Mesquite and Bluffton at that time were somewhat separated, correct? They were a trolley um, right away? Well, they so?
1: were, yeah separated, but um, really considered part of the city. You know, the jurisdiction of the, the mayor, for example, certainly ranged down to the Bluffton area, although Bluffton had their own honorary mayor, a guy that was the first thespian to locate down there. And he kind of defended his property, uh, that area down there, as his own, even though he wasn't an elected official. Yeah, it was a fascinating little section of town where um, they did a little bit of everything.
0: Now, besides Buster Keaton, were there any other famous um, actors or actresses that came to that area?
1: Well, uh, Buster's next-door neighbor was a guy named Big Joe Roberts, who was a vaudevillian as well, and later Buster would recruit him to take him to Hollywood, and he would play the heavy in his films. There was a guy named Lex Neal that was a contemporary Buster, who's about the same age, who later became a writer out in Hollywood for Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton as well. There was a guy named Max Gruber who had a, a circus down there. And of course, probably one of the more famous local residents as people recall that he had an elephant that resided right. in a barn that um, still stands behind one of the homes down there. Yeah, for These people, you know, there were people down there that were appearing on the cover of Variety magazine. It, it, contained a number of well-known people from that time period.
0: We have a picture of that elephant on the beach. In exactly. Forward, it's really neat just to think about that time and place. So kind of tying this back to modern-day Muskegon then, let's talk a little bit about the Buster Keaton Home Project. You mentioned, Ron, that... Um, Really, a lot of his childhood kind of transitioned into his movies later on with things like pranks and some kind of scenery. So, Jim, could you tell us a little bit about how this project came about and then just a bit about how it ties into Muskegon?
2: Well, yeah, um, I was approached by a fellow professor at Grand Valley State University who had met Ron in Grand Haven at an event. And he said, Yeah, he wants to tell the story of Buster in Muskegon. And my brother and I, Rod, produced Up From the Bottoms, The Search for the American mm-hmm. Dream. And, and while we were doing that, we we had thought about doing a project on the Buster Keaton in Muskegon um, story. And for some reason, we just, you know, we were so busy making the other film, it just kind of went by the wayside. But then when we were po- approached by Ron, I, I was curious because. You know, for one thing, as a filmmaker, you don't want to make something that's already been made. So, part of what I wanted to find out was: has this story really been told? And Ron assured me this part of the story hadn't been. So, I watched a bunch of documentaries about Buster, and yeah, they really never touched on this era in his life. Which, you know, as I learned more about it, as Ron was telling me, like the prank stories and just. How much he loved Muskegon because he he mentioned it in his autobiography. He was quoted many times as saying his favorite place was Muskegon, Michigan, and so that kind of intrigued me. And in then as I hear all these you know interesting stories about him in vaudeville, which I always I keep have been telling people lately, it's kind of like he was the first child star. You know, we talk about child stars in TV and films. Well, this was pre-films and TV. So this was, in a way, a child vaudeville performer was the first child actor in a way because he didn't go to school. He traveled around all year long and performed, and and there was groups trying to keep track of kids kid actors and they tried to avoid him and you know because he was a young kid he started when he was five years old
0: I heard a few of his shows got I don't know canceled yeah. but they kind of ran out of town a little bit because the authorities right, were right.
2: questioning so I mean the thought that when Ron told us how five years old all of a sudden he was the star of the show from the from the first time he went on stage it brought the house down and so the parents went ah I think we got a little star here mm-hmm. and then he became the star of the family and so, I mean, to me, that was fascinating that a, a kid was the headliner of a vaudeville act and, and, you know, even like kind of keeping track of the, the family's business as he got older into his teen years. He was the one who kept track of the dates and you know, that kind of stuff.
0: A lot of responsibility yeah, for Yeah, yeah.
2: And because he was the star. Um, so that kind of intrigued me. And the fact that it hadn't been told, this part of the story hadn't been told. And I just thought, this is a cool story that... I mean, it would be great for a documentary, but I've also thought it would be great for a narrative film as well, where you find a kid actor to play Buster. I mean, I think it would be a great story for that, just because there's so many, like the pranks and the, you know, like he's only told you a couple of the things, but there's so many cool little stories that would make up a great plot.
1: Like anybody, you know, Buster used his life um, in the telling of what he did later. It's autobiographical in a sense, no matter what you do. And certainly some of the things that he saw here in Muskegon or where he was part of uh, out on the road were things that would translate into ideas for film. And, you know, it's always fascinating when you get, um, shall we say, that that additional look at the light and you can kind of put the pieces together to see where maybe something came from.
0: Do you have any good examples of that that you've seen?
1: Um, You know, probably the biggest one that I refer to, um, I often do a walking tour down in Bluffton to point out who lived where and and tell some of the stories. Big Joe Roberts had uh, a dock, of course. He sat right on the water, um, right on Muskegon Lake. And one of the boats that docked there was owned by an individual down in Chicago and some theatrical agents who did a lot of the bookings for vaudevillians would come up here and play too. These guys came up on a boat called the Damfino, and Keaton, of course, later in life, used that name of that boat and uh, in one of his films called The Boat, um, where he titled a boat that he puts out in the water, the damn final. It's, it's things like that, that you see these little bits from Muskegon and perhaps elsewhere that lend in so well. You'll see him take a tumble down a hill in a movie. And it's just like when I was a kid... You know, tumbling down a dune You're in right. Muskegon. You can relate exactly to what he's doing there, and why he falls the way he falls. It's it's stuff like that that you catch. And and again, I've always said that for me, watching a Keaton film is different than I think for a lot of people because I was raised in this town. I was surrounded by the same things that he was surrounded by in a lot of instances, and. And you relate to that, I think, differently as a viewer um, sitting in an audience watching the big screen.
0: So, Jim, on this project here, working on Buster Keaton Home, how far along are you on this kind of vision to bring Buster Keaton and Muskegon
2: together? Well, well um, we've, we did three major interviews in, in May. Um, James Caron was the, the main one that we went out to Los Angeles to get. He was Buster's best friend in the last, about the last 10 years of his life. And so we got excellent footage from him. And then we, while we were out there, we also interviewed a expert on vaudeville, who is also an expert on the Marx Brothers. He's written a book on the Marx Brothers, or several books, is it? Or, yeah. Yeah. As well as Patty Tobias, who is the president of the International Buster Keaton Society. So, um, but in those three interviews, we we really got uh, quite a bit of content that we were hoping. Now. You know we didn't certainly get didn't get it all but right. it, it was it was one of those trips that was well worth it because James Caron for one he gave us quotes like Buster said and Buster did you know first-hand knowledge and it wasn't like somebody had written a book about it or researched it this this was real stories about things that Buster said and did I mean he told us about pranks that he did when they were on the road like they were standing in some apartment, and he woke up, and Buster had tied all the furniture was hanging from the ceiling, and it was just so you get up. that visual praise <laughs> as well. And tying it back to Muskegon, like these mechanical, like the device, the fishing rod, and all that, which were all pulleys and strings. Well, that shows up in a lot of his films. He. Um, which which one is it where him and Big Joe Roberts are at the table? The goat The goat is and, one of
1: them, yeah, the electric house is another And there's
2: strings hanging down, and they pass the salt shaker back and forth, and, you know, it's like that. Oh, yeah, yes um, but can, you can see how it relates directly to these, like the, the collapsible outhouse, which was rigged with a pulley and a rope. So I think that, paid, you know, this mechanical um, fascination he had showed up in a lot of his films throughout. Even the falling wall um, that he, you know, he's in the window as it falls down, that was a very mechanically mm-hmm. tested, and we, we heard the story from James Karen about how that was done as well, which was pretty interesting. So.
0: And there's a clip of your interview with James uh, on your website, correct? Right, Yeah. So you can see a little preview of that interview. Yeah. So the project still has a bit more to go, though?
2: Oh, yeah. We're, the goal originally was to... Take about two and a half years to make the film, because um, for one thing, when you're doing documentary, it's you're you're finding footage. You can't script it and schedule everything. Mm-hmm. Just getting people to want to interview together in one area is difficult. So it takes time, and rather than rush it and do a half, you know, half baked job. Um, we decided to take our time, and I, and I work a full-time job at Grand Valley State University, so summers are when I can really work on the project. So That's when you get to be Buster. Yeah, right? I get to play with Buster and, and Ron. <laughs>
1: <laughs> As Jim has mentioned, it's, it's a process, and of course you want to go out and get the people that can help tell the story, to go chase the images that are certainly rare to find from back in that time frame for the period that we're talking about before he really became the movie star where there's a ton of stuff, of course, from the studios and such that were taken by professional photographers. But to capture some of those family photos or photos from other members of the actors colony to help tell that portion of the story, to go back to vaudeville and dig out advertising and reviews and things like that, it it takes time. It's certainly um, research-oriented to, to go chase a lot of this stuff, as well as lining up um, photo shoots to allow others to tell that story. So we were very fortunate in the first three interviews. They, they went like clockwork, and the vaudeville expert can really explain one of the biggest challenges that we probably face on this project, explaining to the rest of the world what was vaudeville, what right. was burlesque, what was you know a monologue act, or things like that. What entertainment really entailed back in the time frame, which might not be 100% politically correct based on today's standards, of course, but that's what the world bought. So you could have a German comedian on the stage telling a story um, that today people are oh, all, you know, that's ethnic comedy. We can't we can't have that. So to put it in the time frame is certainly part of the story that, that we're tasked with telling.
0: Now, if people want to see this project finished, what are some ways that they could actually help?
2: Well, BusterKeatonHome.com is our website, and right now, you know, throughout the whole process, we'll be raising money. So if people want to help us by donating, they go to Buster Keaton Home. there's a donate page there. It's all tax deductible because it, it goes through the Lakeshore Museum Center. And uh, the Community okay. Foundation for Muskegon County is supporting us as well, so it's a good tax write up for people that need it. And we're also gonna we're gonna be shooting in October, and we we're gonna put a call out for people to go to the film showing on Saturday night, which is the sixth. Is that right or seventh? It's um, the
1: Saturday the seventh, I believe yeah. it is. So,
2: and we're gonna shoot film that night. So we're actually gonna shoot the film showing on film to get some B-roll of the event. So if people want to come dressed in period costumes and kind of maybe be in the film, that's one way they could help as well or, or at least participate in it. Um, And then next summer we're going to be shooting a lot more of the B roll, and there's going to be opportunities for people if they want to act or be extras. So that that'd be fun because we'd like to get the community involved in in a lot of different ways.
0: And that information will be posted on the website. Yeah, and our Facebook. We have a when the time comes,
2: well. Um,
1: we'll certainly be chasing some of those things. And of course, as Jim said, you know those films are shown at that beautifully restored Fraunthal Theater on Saturday night. And what's really interesting about this year is the fact this year represents the 100th year of Keaton going into movies. When he first met Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle and and filmed um, his first film with Arbuckle, The Butcher Boy, that was 100 years ago. So this is really kind of special in the sense that here we have the chance to watch Buster in his first film and then um, in the second film that we're showing that night would be The General, which is really considered one of the all-time classic movies, period, across all genders, and certainly is considered uh, Keaton's masterpiece. And you
2: have you just have to see it in the Fromathall Center. It's so, yeah. To so see majestic that on the big screen. Oh, yes. yeah. I mean it, Buster statue right out front, too. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't think of a better place to watch a film. And, and that's part of the reason why we want to film it on film is because it's just the theater is so beautiful. And it. I think it'd be nice for people to kind of go back in time and yeah. you know experience a film the way it was back in the early 1900s.
0: And all this that we're talking about is part of a festival that's here in Muskegon just coming up soon, right, Ron?
2: Correct. For the last
1: 23, well, 22 years, this is the 23rd year, the International Buster Keaton Society comes to Muskegon. Um, This is really a lot of how I got involved in the Keaton story, is that I received a call from Patty Tobias, who was um, the president of the group several years back, about 1993, with the goal of trying to host their first convention in the place that Buster called his favorite place on Earth, Muskegon. And here we are 23 years later, and the group is still coming back. And it's a fascinating group of people that come to town. They come from literally all over the globe. Um, I understand this year there's supposed to be an individual. I believe it's from Portugal This here. We have three people that have seen or been to every convention. I'm one, blessed with the fact that they come to my hometown. But another one is from the U.K., who will be here again this year, and uh, a third individual from Ohio that's been to every convention. But this is a chance for these people to, you know, see things tied to what you might at a convention, rare film, um, performances, photographs, lectures from, uh, for instance, Buster Keaton's granddaughter, Melissa Talmadge Cox, will be here, along with her mother, Buster's daughter-in-law, Barb Talmage and there will be Big Joe Roberts' granddaughters here telling the story of her, her grandfather. It's such a unique group. There's filmmakers, film restorers, there's book authors. There's a gal I always talk about that is a, a programmer for Jet Propulsion Labs, and she was one of the people involved in getting the rover on Mars and was just recently um, watching the end of a project uh, out at Saturn. But they come to Muskegon. And the reason they come here is because this is where Buster claims. So, right. And yeah. they like to have that chance to do the exact same thing.
2: Some of Buster's biggest fans are famous people as well. And over oh, yeah. the years we've had authors and and we're we're pursuing some actors and actresses to be in the film as well because he his fans are very uh, Enthusiastic about his work, and that includes people like Johnny Depp and Jackie Chan and you know some of the our contemporary filmmakers that are just huge Keaton fans because they I think they realize the importance of him as a filmmaker and my like my professors at Grand Valley and my mentors, she said, "Oh, I always thought Buster." was a head above Charlie Chaplin and you know, so so yeah, he his fans are not just right. us, but they're also very you know when you
0: see a lot of his influence in movies today even I can think of just several movies where you see something fall and the person stands there and just narrowly yeah. misses them, throwing All back right. the you know, Buster in the house falling apart. So many right.
1: things that we take today for granted in film that oh yeah, I've seen that before you're going back to the origins of it when you get back to Keaton to have film directors talk about The importance of this guy and them choosing to go into film is really amazing to to hear some of those stories. So that's what we're hoping to tell. And across the board, get people involved in this really very interesting aspect of Muskegon history.
0: Now, if people want to attend the festival, where would they be able to find tickets?
1: The International Buster Keaton Society, who call themselves the Damfinos, Finos, have a website. It's BusterKeaton.com. And folks um, can still register for the event um, out there if they are interested in the gatherings that we'll have at the Art Museum and elsewhere in town. For those that are really interested in going to check out the movie, they, of course, can do that on Saturday night. It's open to everyone. At 8 o'clock. And doors open, I think, at 7.15. But that's a public event. Everybody's welcome to come. And... You know, as I always say, if I can get you in that theater, I got you. I got you hooked. Because once you're seated there watching that film in the manner it is meant to be seen, listening to a theater organ, and then I will guarantee at the end you'll stand and cheer. It's a unique movie experience that you really don't get at today's cinemas.
2: I would just add that watching Buster on the screen and knowing that he played on the same beaches that we do and he messed around in the same neighborhoods we did and rode his bike or played baseball, and to think that he became such a successful star, you know, somebody from our hometown, maybe it'll inspire the next Buster Keaton. And I always tell my students that, why not you? Um... And now I'm using Buster as an example. I said he you know, was frolicking on the beach in Muskegon, teenager, and then he became one of the biggest film stars ever. So so I think it's kind of inspirational, too, to to watch Absolutely. your hometown hometown person who went on to become such a legend. So.
0: I'd like to thank you very much, Ron. Thank you very much, Jim. Uh, once again, if you'd like to support this project, the website is BusterKeatonHome.com, and I will link that in our Facebook and podcast description. Thank you very much, gentlemen.
1: Thanks, Beth. Thank you.